Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm here with Professor David Ebert, who's just given a keynote talk here at the MindTech conference. You covered loads of stuff in that conference, in that presentation. 24 randomized controlled trials that you're currently running with your system. Um, but there was one kind of overarching statement that you made, which I thought was really interesting, that digital technology plays to what young people want. So you talked about this kind of huge rise in prevalence of mental illness in young people and the fact that they want to help themselves. Um, so why, how has that inspired you to develop your systems? Um, I think what we found in our data, and this is like, uh, it's not only us uh, who found that, is when you ask people who have a mental health disorder uh, why they are not in treatment, um, then um, we found that the primary reason was not the problem, the availability of treatment. This is usually, it's very often being discussed. You have long waiting times, treatment costs are so high, um, and so on. But when you really ask them why they are not in treatment, then the primary reason is that they want to solve their problems alone. And, and this is completely understandable. We don't want to be sick. We especially don't want to be mentally sick. Um, so, and I think digital intervention hold a, hold a very great promise uh, because we can provide people who want to solve their problems alone uh, with evidence-based techniques and really teaching them what they need to do in order to get better. Um, so do you see these, these self-help digital interventions as completely removed from a therapist, so unguided tools that people can use? And that's a very good question. Um, actually, um, we, there is evidence also for unguided interventions uh, based on randomized controlled trials. Uh, these are usually, uh, the effects much smaller compared to what we call guided interventions. Uh, where a psychologist sits uh, behind and gives written feedback usually uh, based on the completion of um, self-help lessons. Um, the, but for unguided intervention, there are also effects which are much smaller. But um, currently, the, this evidence do not translate to real world, to the real world. And one reason for that might be that when you in randomized controlled trials, you have also a, a, um, a structure. There is the research assistant calling you, doing an interview with you. You have all the assessment and so on. And when you simply um, offer something on the website as an unguided version, so um, you don't have this structure. So um, we once did a trial where we actually investigated that. It was in the treatment of chronic pain. We did an uh, unguided versus randomized controlled trial uh, and then the unguided had also occasional adherence rates but then we offered the same treatment simply afterwards to all those patients um, on the waiting list for the trial and uh, we found that none of these patients uh, completed the treatment at all so I uh, strongly believe that the evidence what we from uh, randomized controlled trials for unguided treatments um, might be overestimated for what can we expect in routine care. So at the moment that might change in the future but at the moment I think digital self-help intervention without therapist support um, are not there yet to be used on large scale in routine care without additional therapist support. But that does not mean you need to see a, a therapist uh, face to face. So it, um, 
uh, it's sufficient if there is a psychologist behind and supports you to go through the process to motivate you to support you to do the treatment that's sufficient I had an episode of depression a few years ago and I remember it took me over a year to realize that I needed help yeah. and to go and see a GP um, and all the way through that year I was saying you know I'm tired I'm stressed um, but I didn't at any point think I'm clinically depressed. Um, and that's quite a common experience, particularly for men, I think, who don't kind of frame it as depression. I guess it's quite common in young people as well. Um, you've, you've found some interesting relationships between depression and stress in your system. Tell us about that. Yeah, so what we uh, found is that uh, the data is a... Um, Clearly, indeed, the data clearly indicates that the majority of those with a depression do not seek timely treatment, uh, and many not ever. Um, so um, then we asked ourselves, are there different strategies maybe to reach those people? Um, and we did interviews with depressed people who do not perceive themselves as uh, depressed or having a depression. So uh, then we thought, okay, my, maybe um, we can go for different strategies. Um, we did um, trials on stress management, but we also found that many of those who applied for stress management intervention um, fulfilled the criteria for depression and the intervention was effective for them. And then we thought, hey, why not using a stress management intervention to target depression um, and we did that and found uh, the intervention to be effective so we did not need to tell the people they have a depression uh, but uh, could stay with their concept of I'm really stressed um, so and then work with them on uh, evidence-based techniques um, and yeah they got better Kind of the next step from that, in my mind at least, is a kind of transdiagnostic model where you say it doesn't matter whether somebody is depressed or anxious or stressed, you know, whatever common mental health problem they are experiencing, because we have a system which has a variety of packages, you know, psychoeducation and CBT and mindfulness, whatever, um, that can support. Is that the next obvious place to go with this? I'm not 100% sure. I think, um, like, uh, transdiagnostic interventions um, uh, hold hold promise, uh, but I think we need to look a little bit more specific for which kind of people do we need what strategies. So we found, like with stress, we can actually for a specific group can also treat the depression. But for another group, that might be not true. So we need to better understand uh, like, uh, for which um, um, uh, target population what kind of alternative strategies work. And transdiagnostic interventions might be one of the solutions, but I think that's not the only one. You can use a lot of different strategies. I think the important thing is to better understand to what do people want. So what, like what they are willing to use, and um, other trials we conducted were like on mindfulness. So they were not interested in a depression intervention, but they were interested in mindfulness. And then we found, like, yeah, um, a substantial proportion of those with a depression profited also from the mindfulness intervention. And now the next step is to really be able to predict for whom this might be a good strategy so and for whom not and for whom do we need alternative treatment approaches we've 
we've heard a lot today about all sorts of exciting digital mental health stuff, artificial intelligence, machine learning, virtual reality, you know, all these things. What excites you most about what's happening currently in the digital mental health space? What do you think is going to have the most impact actually on real people's lives to improve their mental health? I think there are two things. The first one relates to a lot of what we discussed before. I think digital mental health um, can be used to reach people who are not reached by the system because they're not willing to use the system, of course, also when there are no other treatments available, um, so, and to reach people more early. You previously told me so you did not seek help for one year, but the average um, time is uh, six to eight years after the onset of a diagnosis. So I think we can reach those much earlier with digital mental health and have a kind of uh, online-only system to uh, yeah, provide evidence-based techniques. So that's the one thing um, I'm really excited about. Um, the other thing is that um, I think using machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, will allow us to improve our treatments. Because at the moment, for example, in depression, we do not know who is profiting from cognitive therapy, from behavioral therapy, from acceptance commitment therapy, uh, from, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, on average, there are no big differences. So, and um, uh, I think uh, digital interventions allow um, to analyze really big data sets which are needed uh, in order to develop these uh, prediction algorithms uh, in order to allocate a specific treatment to an individual patient. And that's only, now I talked only about uh, like overall therapy concepts like uh, cognitive, behavioral, psychodynamic and so on. But you can go in, in detail, so at what specific time, what specific techniques or uh, what kind of intensity for and what support is this individual patient um, um, is an individual patient needing um, so I think um, that going that direction may finally help to improve the outcomes of our current state of the art treatments thanks a lot for talking to me thanks um.